When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the JAG Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we're talking to David Thompson. Dave is a reserve Army JAG who spent about 13 years on active duty. So Dave, welcome. Thanks, Tom. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk with you today. How about a quick synopsis of your Army career? For sure. So I was a ROTC scholarship student. I went to Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. I graduated 06 from Xavier, and then I was an Ed Delay guy. So I went back to Texas where I was from originally to Texas Tech Law. And when I showed up there, I didn't realize that the dean was the former TJAG, Walt Huffman. And he had brought several colonels retired with him, Colonel Rosen, I think Colonel Lewis. And so there was a just sort of a plethora of retired JAGs down there that I got I had the pleasure of, of either having as a teacher or as a dean. But once I wrapped up law school, took the bar, I ended up joining you know, the JAG Corps because the Army was going to collect and uh, I joined in February of 2010, and I did the 181st OBC, and that started my active duty judge advocate career. From there, I did Fort Carson for my first assignment where I was a legal assistance attorney, and then I, I went on to be a trial counsel for the 4th Infantry Brigade Combat Team, deployed with them to Jalalabad, Afghanistan, came back, went down to Joint Base San Antonio where I was a defense counsel for one year, and then uh, my boss there said, hey, Dave, how would you like the opportunity to be a senior defense counsel at Fort Huachuca? And I said, whatever the Army needs. So I went from San Antonio to Fort Huachuca for a year to be senior defense counsel of myself for one year. And then from there, I went to Fort Bliss, not too far a drive, where I did ad law for one year and uh, special victim counsel for two years. At that point, I got picked up for major. I went to the JAG school for the grad course. I completed the grad course, and then I stayed there for three years as a crim law professor on the uh, crim law department and had an amazing time. Uh, I loved teaching students, teaching paralegals, judge advocates, commanders, and uh, it was a great way to leave active duty, however, regretfully. So you bookended your career in Charlottesville, but everything else was uh, sort of in the, in the Southwest with between Texas, Arizona, That's right. and Colorado. That's right. They, they really, really cleared out the Southwest in terms of uh, exploring the country. So you got out in 2022. What was the decision pointed to get out, if you will? I loved my time in the JAG Corps. I speak very highly of it. It was just one of those life decisions. I got married between going from Fort Bliss to Charlottesville. I married another attorney, very successful attorney. She's, she was a U.S. attorney in Dallas. She gave up that job, came with me to Charlottesville. She got a job in the Charlottesville U.S. Attorney's Office, and we kind of had an understanding that I don't think we didn't 
think that getting married that we were likely going to stay active duty for for too much longer. So I kind of knew Charlottesville might be my last ride. Promises were made and I kept that promise. So my wife wanted to return back to Texas. She wanted to set down roots. Um, she has political aspirations as well. Um, she works now for a very prominent uh, law firm, Shepard Mullen here in Dallas, where she does white collar defense and commercial litigation. And so really it was just, uh, she she came out there for me and it was my turn to support her, her career. And, you know, and that was fine. I, and I wasn't quite ready to give up my service. And so I, I stayed on in the reserves. With that understanding in mind, was that your uh, sort of the reason you were kind of heavy in the litigation aspect and criminal law? I think it's just what I ended up gravitating towards. I mean, I, I did ad law, I, I did op law and deployment. So I touched a lot of the other bases, but my strength was in the courtroom. It was interacting with clients and eventually it was teaching. But I, I don't think I, I focused heavily on crim law thinking that, well, I know I'm going to get out. So I don't mind not branching out as much. It just ended up working out the way. And, and in my opinion, I, I don't personally think I would have been damaged too much in light of the the changes coming to the JAG Corps and the need for more specialized military justice practitioners. Sure. So you're at Coons Fuller in uh, Denton, Texas. And what, what do you do there? So Coons Fuller is, I'd say, one of the premier boutique family law firms in North Texas. We've got four offices and I, I do family law. I do divorces, premarital agreements, custody. And it's been a challenge adapting to from 13 years of government life to billing private practice, managing clients again, although the managing clients part is, is, is familiar to me and comfortable. And, and in fact, the JAG Corps prepared me well for adapting to learning new things. And um, I find that I continue to surprise my, my bosses with just sort of my ability to quickly understand complicated things and, and to write well and communicate well with clients. And so it's, it has not been as hard a transition as I thought it would be. Okay. I want to come back to that, but Tell us about your decision when you were getting out. How did you prepare for transitioning to the civilian sector? What did you want to do? And how did this job come about? I, I would say that it was not easy to get where I was. I cannot recommend, as much as I love the JAG school, I cannot recommend anybody separate from the JAG school. And the main reason being that, you know, it's not an army base. So I had to do everything through Fort Lee, who didn't own me, which made things more complicated. So that just on its face made things a little bit challenging getting out of active duty and just the administrative element of it. In terms of how I found Coons Fuller, I, I'm sure you have a, and I, I know having listened to some of your podcasts, there's a reoccurring theme of networking. I mean, I got the job because my law school negotiation classmate is a partner at the firm. And I said, hey, I'm interested. And she said, come down and interview. And so she set up the interview with another partner and the rest was sort of history. But I wasn't planning on doing family law, and I wish I had a more compelling story that this was my dream or that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to potentially get back into the courtroom. I knew I didn't want to take a big break from active duty. You know, even though my wife is working and you know, I know we would be well off, you know, I wanted to continue practicing. And so it just sort of it worked out in the end, but it was not a sure thing. Things I did to prepare. And my advice to others going through it would be, you can't start early enough. When I was at the JAG school two years out, and I, at this point, I knew I had dropped paperwork, but it would take time. I did the jobs for JAGs fair, which was helpful. 
I, I found that I was personally a little disillusioned because they tell you the, the reoccurring theme there was it's all about networking and who you know. And unfortunately, I wish I had something that was a little bit better to say, but I got my job through networking. I applied on US Jobs Gov, I don't know, 15, 20 applications, and I, I didn't really get a hit. And it was very disappointing and frustrating. I had good performance evaluations. I, I was, in my opinion, very, I had had a successful JAG career. I mean, I was teaching crim law at the JAG school. Um, but translating that to the civilian world, to firms who don't necessarily know what, they have an idea of what teaching means. And JAG school teaching is very different. And what we look for in our teachers is very different than what academia looks for in their teachers. And so it just wasn't an easy, an easy fit. And I've seen other people seem to have a lot of easy success finding jobs, whereas I think I, I struggled a little bit. I think my, part of my problem was I knew we were going back to a very specific location. So I had to cast a very specific net. And so that made it a little bit more challenging. When you interviewed with Coons Fuller, you talked about uh, how you continue, you've impressed your boss by your ability to adapt and your ability to communicate to your clients in very effective means. How was the interview in the sense that, yes, you had done a legal assistance tour, but you hadn't really practiced family law at that point for 13 years. So how did that go? Was it rough? Was it what, you know, what in your opinion, other than that you had a classmate that work there that convinced them to say, yeah, let's bring this guy on board. The answer to that is easy. It was my trial experience. Um, in the civilian world, it's just, they still they don't do nearly as many trials as you can do in the military. I mean, certainly it's not on par with a district attorney or, or a public defender, but we still do a lot of cases. And so when I said, hey, I've got 40 trials under my belt, 20 of those are contested in front of juries. It was easy to, to convince them just with my ability to talk to them and explain how I prepare for cases and the types of cases that I deal with. I mean, I'll give you an example. As a SVC, Special Victim Council, you know, I, I am comfortable talking and building rapport and empathy with clients that have been through the worst. I'm also comfortable with clients who change their positions from a day to day. And as that turns out, that's pretty common in family law with clients who on one occasion hate their spouse and on the next day may want to reconcile. And so having those experiences combined with the trial experience and the ability to, hey, I understand the rules of evidence. Uh, Texas rules, they have different numbers, but most of the foundations are the same. I know how to build a direct examination and a cross-examination, and I can tell you about an opening and closing, and I taught the JAG Corps essentially for three years how to do it. So I'm comfortable with those things, and they were impressed by that, and it worked out well for me in that regard. Let me ask you about the the compensation and the cha and the change and and all that and billing, because you mentioned you know that was something you had to learn. And I, while you were talking there, I looked up the military pay chart for in 2022 for a major with 12 years of experience. It looked like it was about $8,200 a month. Mm -hmm. So that and obviously the allowances on top of that. So what was the adjustment like? Obviously, we all want to get out and maintain the same yeah. lifestyle. So take us through negotiating for compensation, what compensation is like in a boutique law firm and that billing that you had to figure out. No, great question, Tom. I mean, it's, it's a whole new world up there, and I did not fully understand it. And to be honest, I don't know if I fully understand it. So they offered me, and I'll, I'll just be blunt because I'm not raking in the money, but I am doing well enough that I'm comfortable, and especially with my wife's salary. 
but I, I think it's helpful for people to see the numbers because I think for many attorneys leaving the JAG Corps, you're going to take a hit in salary because you, you've got a very comfortable lifestyle. And unless you've got a connection to a well-paying practice, you're probably going to have to reassess your what you're going to get. For example, in addition to the Coons Fuller job, I got offered the Dallas, I mean, I did an interview with the Dallas District Attorney's Office. They sent me an offer that same day. So they wanted me, but they were sort of limited. They would put me in a tier of a top tier first pick kind of thing, but they were capped statutorily at what they could give me. And it was like 80,000. So I'm looking at 130,000 to 80,000 essentially or something like, and I, I just couldn't stomach that starting over from scratch at that pay level. I understood that they just, they just couldn't do anything else. So Coons Fuller, they offered me 100 or 110, and I countered saying, no, I want 125, and they accepted. Now, so the, they have 125 salary. I bill at $300 an hour, but on top of that, I get monthly bonuses based on billing and, and money collected. So they have a, a fairly complex calculation where based on the number of hours I bill each month and how much money I actually collect, uh, if I exceed a certain percentage, I get a bonus. That bonus comes out to generally around eight or 9,000 a month. And I've gotten it every month since I've been there. So on whole, if this continues, I will definitely exceed the money I made as a judge advocate. So that's the family law practice. If you go to a solo practitioner, again, Coons Fuller is a, is a pretty solid family law practice and it's well-established and I'm probably making more than most smaller firms would make. And, but there's a lot of room for growth as well. I'm billing at 300, plenty of people higher up are billing 500, 600, 800. So you mentioned that, you know, you have a pretty comfortable lifestyle while you're on active duty. And I mean, we get paid, we can go PT or inspect in fact, we're, we're expected to PT while we're on active duty. We get every federal holiday off. We don't have to bill hours. So the question is, is what is the work-life balance like working in a private practice like this? Well, I'd say it's, it's, it's a harder lifestyle than it was. I mean, anything's harder than the JAG school lifestyle for three years. I mean, let's just be realistic. It was a fantastic job. I mean, the worst is when you're going to be a trial counsel or a defense counsel, or when you are likely a a field grade at a chief of justice position or something along those lines, or, you know, work in the long hours. So you're going to feel that pinch with the family, but otherwise the, the JAG core lifestyle, you know, you've got early morning PT, but you're leaving by five or earlier, depending on if you've got a good boss and if you've got stuff to do. Right. And so I, I found the JAG core lifestyle. If you knew what you were doing and you took care of yourself, you could have a good life balance, get your job done, do well, and still have time for yourself on the family law side. Well, I got to drive 30 minutes in the morning. So I, I'm leaving here to drop my five-month-old off at daycare. So I get to work. I start work. And I work from 8.30 to 5.30. And it will go later if it needs to. Yesterday, I was in a mediation from 8.30 till 7.30 at night. Now, we got the mediation. It was a success. But I was going to be there until that mediation was done. So that's not too unfamiliar. You're going to be at the trial till the trial's over till the judge says you're going home. So family law has that. I will say what I love about my firm is there is no, I mean, I guess there is a floor of like at least 1500 hours a year, but it's, that's not hard to make. And like I said, I'm, if I'm working from 830 to 530 and I'm leaving at 530, I've gotten my bonus every month doing that. So I'm not burning the, the candle at both ends. So I, I would say it is longer hours, 
but reasonable. And it's, I think that's on par. So I would tell you people, Hey, if you're coming out of the JAG Corps, unless you go, and I don't mean any slight to anyone who's going into government practice where you might have a more similar hours and lifestyle, but if you're going into private practice, you're probably going to have longer hours, but it doesn't have to be a, a grind. The experience that you had both as a, as a prosecutor, defense counsel, victims counsel, and part of an insulation SJA role, has that benefited you as a family law attorney? And if so, how? Yes. You know, it's, it's actually pretty shocking. But one of my first clients is, um, well, they, they are a highly ranked officer on active duty. And guess what? I know things that most family law attorneys don't know. I know what FAP is. I know what FOIA is. I know how to submit FOIA requests and get records. I know army regulations that I can pull a lever and get the commander on your back for you to pay child support well before a court order will ever come into play. So that knowledge has blown my boss away and that they had no idea about these things. And so, hey, I, I'm having to relearn Texas civil procedure. That's taken me a little bit of time. And I've had to you know, dig back into the O'Connors and relearn family law. But you know what? That's, that's really not the hard stuff. It, the hard stuff is knowing how to understand clients, know, you know, how do you figure out what their goals are? I mean, there's so many attorneys that don't know how to identify client goals and seek to execute those in a smart way. You got to know how to check in with those clients and maintain the relationship. And then how do you talk to opposing counsel? Now, I will say this. I miss my JAG Corps brothers and sisters. Opposing counsel in the family law world have been less than desirable, I would say. But, you know, you find those apples, too, sometimes in the JAG Corps and you just got to drive on. You know, they're advocating for, for their clients. They think they're doing the right thing and you just got to you gotta deal with them. I mean, I'll do an army story real quick. I didn't realize what I was doing wrong as a trial counsel until I was a defense counsel. And I didn't realize what I was doing wrong as a defense counsel until I was an SVC. So I was constantly learning. And until you've been in the other side's, the other side's shoes, you know, it's hard to always have that full sense of empathy and understanding. You talked about your bosses being impressed by your ability to communicate with the client. How so? And what do you think paved the way for that uh, ability to communicate with the client? Trial counsel and SVC comes the most to mind just because it stands out because there were so many sex assault cases and those were the common victims or clients that I was dealing with. But I saw those client relationships explode when attorneys couldn't take the attorney hat off and talk to someone like a human being. Whether they're a divorce client or a sex assault victim or in many cases, both, right? If you can't present information in a way that a human being understands, and you're just going to strictly adhere to legalese, or you're just going to tell them this is their legal options, and you're not at, at any point going to say, I'm sorry this happened to you, that must be hard, right? It's knowing how to connect those to get them on board with you, to trust you so that they will confide in you, give you the information you need to effectively advocate for them. But if you just come in and say, what's your property items? Hey, what do you, what do you own prior to the marriage? What do you own now? okay, here's what they're going to get. You're not going to have a great relationship with the client. And they may not, if it's a new client, they may not hire you. And in, in private practice, you got to get the clients to hire you and you got to get them to keep paying you. I mean, that's another thing that's different about private practice. You've got to balance, like I have clients that I'm doing hard work on and all of a sudden my paralegals tell me, hey, they, they owe us 18,000. At some point, you know, I'm going to have to tell the client, I, I can't keep doing work for you until you pay up. And, you know, the contract says you have to replenish the retainer. You haven't done that. And 
there are clients who don't do that. And you've got to pull the trigger and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to withdraw. And what, at what point do you pull that trigger with different clients? I'll give you an example where it's hard. If it's a spouse who doesn't have the money and the opposing party has all the money and they're alienating them and controlling the assets, I think we're going to pull that trigger much later. We're going to say, hey, I think we, we know you, we will get paid, that we, we trust in the court system, and we're going we're gonna to stick with this longer before we say, you can't pay us or we're out. You know? So these are complicated decisions that come up, but unfortunately, it's part of the work when you're billing people. And I'm cognizant of how much money we're charging people. I tried to be a good steward of the, gov- of the taxpayer's dollars as a government attorney, but it's tenfold when, some, when I'm seeing them pay the bills for the work I'm doing. Empathy. It sounds like that's what you're getting at, the empathy part of being able to identify with the clients and understand their position. And obviously, uh, serving as a victim's counsel, I'm sure, really, really drove that home. How does serving in a boutique law practice like this, where you have to bill and a reserve obligation, how do they mesh or conflict? The question is, how is it juggling both of those? Well, I'd say the reserve life has been a challenge to transition into. And I'm sure you hear this a lot, but going from the active to the reserve, it is a whole different ballpark. People have just different sets of ideas as to what deadlines mean and, and when things get done. And You've got an OER issue or an ORB issue. Okay, well, that'll get resolved in seven months, maybe, right? But in regards to how do I balance that with the family law? Well, I'm a senior defense counsel in the reserves, and I've got clients, some of whom will call me during the day. I'm not going to answer the phone most of the time. I'll have to make a judgment call if it's appropriate because, hey, I'm supposed to be billing or doing work from my private practice, not working on my, uh, my reserve stuff. On the flip side, I've got to bill certain hours on the weekend. I've got to bill certain hours at night. And so I'm having to balance my client duties to the reserve side, the administrative stuff on the side with managing my client. And that, that has been very stressful. I can imagine the reserve life would be much simpler if I was in government practice still, but it is far more challenging on the reserve side trying to balance it with private practice. How big was a cultural shock when you started with this job? Was there ever a day you wish you like, boy, I wish I would have just stayed in the army? It's starting with the family law job or the reserves? Uh, the family law job. I'd say it's still a day to day where I'm, I'm wondering if I'm cut out for the family law business. I, I think people who do family law work and have been doing it for a long time, I mean, my hat is off to them. It is, it is very challenging. It is emotionally grueling. And I miss the JAG Corps. I miss the camaraderie of people. But I don't think I regret leaving active duty. And I, I think part of that is because at the JAG school, as a field grade, I was sort of surveying the jobs that were awaiting me, the higher up I would go, and they just didn't personally excite me anymore. And mm-hmm. so on a, on a personal level, I came to grips with leaving the active duty pretty quickly. And honestly, now that I'm about five months out of it, I believe I made the right decision and I feel good about it. I, I loved my time there, but I'm, I'm still learning the reserves and I'm, I'm excited to where that goes, but I, I don't have the regrets I thought I would. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wish someone would have tipped you off to of going to the civilian side after the military that you wish you would have had a better handle on? Well, some things I did that I probably would have started even earlier is if you don't have LinkedIn or some of these professional networking profiles set up, you, you should start doing that now rather than waiting when you've decided to get out. I had a general LinkedIn profile, so I, I had something that worked with, but it took a lot of time to just sort of refabricate it and reformat it to make sense for civilians. And even then, I, I wouldn't say mine's 
the gold standard at all. It needs a lot more work. I would say the networking, as much as it is sort of trite to hear, is the most important thing. And I, I guess I would say, don't be afraid to reach out to unexpected places. I'm talking to you today because we both know Colonel Casey Thomas, who was my deputy uh, SJA at Fort Bliss, and has served as a mentor ever since. And although I took a job in Denton, Texas, I did have other coworkers, other JAGs who got out, who were sending me offers but they were in different states and other cities that I couldn't, that's not where I was going. So the network is there and I found people willing to help and talk. But I guess the number one thing I would tell people is while I did get this particular job from a friend, I was a little demoralized at first that the, the offers were not raining from the sky. And as much as networking is great, I think in the vast majority of occasions, it's not just going to be there for you immediately. You're going to have to work for it. And you're going to have to knock on the doors for the doors to open. If you just stand there with your DD-214 expecting people to, hey, I've got this great job. It's going to pay you 150000 a year. You're going to be disillusioned pretty quickly. For most people, you know, at least that's how it worked for me. Yeah, talking to, to Randy Bagwell, his episode will have played by the time this one plays. But when I talked to him earlier today, he was talking about, you know, those jobs that you apply for and you think you're perfect for it. You either find out or you hear that so-and-so got the job and you think, hmm, I know I could have done that. That was something to get used to of sorry, not necessarily getting the job, but not even getting closure on, hey, we've gone with somebody else. Those things just linger out there for months. And if you're waiting on that one job, you might be waiting six months before you hear something. I, I hear that message and it resonates with me because, you know, my dream job always in the back of my mind was go be a U.S. attorney. My wife worked at the U.S. attorney's office. So I applied for that job on two occasions, but I didn't even get like an answer. But my wife told me and my friend who also now works there told me like there's a culture at the Dallas U.S. attorney's office where you got to apply five, six times and got to go through interviews, three sets of rounds before you even really have a chance. My best man in my wedding just got in. He has been applying for the last seven years and he just got hired. And it took my wife three or four times herself before she got picked up. So I thought I would have been a great fit. And maybe if I had looked for a US attorney's office somewhere else in a smaller area, I would have had more success. But again, if you're dead set on a specific area, you're just gonna have to adjust your expectations and, and keep your eyes open for new opportunities. I, I'm enjoying my, my my chances with the family law firm. I'm grateful for what they've done for me. And uh, I'm going to get the most out of this as I can. But I, I can't say that I, I don't still think about the possibility of a U.S. attorney's office if it, if it comes available and it's the right thing for me and my family. Yeah, and I guess we'll have time. We'll tell whether the break between, you know, criminal law and criminal litigation to family law, whether that impacts you or whether they'll see it the same way that, once a litigator, always a litigator, because, you know, you've mentioned that you meet, you're in a mediation, which opens other doors that we don't necessarily do as a standalone practice within the JAG Corps. But it sounds like you've landed on your feet, man. I'm doing all right. We've got a five-month-old and who's just now started to sleep throughout most of the night. I'll, I'll just tell you, I don't recommend leaving the Army, moving across the country, getting a new job and having a baby all at the same time. It's just not the best thing to do all at once. But Hey, peel the Band-Aid off and knock it all out, I guess. <laughs> well, Dave, that's all I got for you, man. Unless you have anything else, floor's yours. But other than that, I think we've we've had quite a few uh, topics in this half hour. 
No, Tom, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I would just say if there's anyone out there who's my, my message resonated with at all, if they're in Dallas, Texas, if they have questions about family law, they need a family law attorney, right? Or if you just, you just want to talk about anything. I mean, I've taught quite a number of JAGs out there who've come through the JAG school. And if they want to reach me, they can, they can reach me. I mean, they reach out to you to get a hold of me or my email address. Is it okay if I put that out there or? You can put it out there. And we'll also have your LinkedIn profile on the uh, page, but go ahead and give your email so that they can sure. find you if they're just listening. Yeah. My email is David, D-A-V-I-D dot A dot Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, 84 at gmail.com. If you ever want to reach out, you can shoot a message to me on LinkedIn or send me an email and I'm, I'm happy to help. And like Casey Thomas putting me in touch with you, if I can pay it forward in any way, I will. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate, I appreciate it. it. You have a great night. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.